This episode is brought to you in part by Alora Farinway's debut single, Riding a Tiger, available wherever you get your music. Alora Farinway is a young Canadian singer-songwriter who creates dreamy folk pop with the hope of transporting her listeners to another world. As someone who struggles with depersonalization and derealization disorders, conditions where you feel outside of yourself, you don't feel real, where the world around you isn't real and you're floating through life, her felt experience carries over into her music. Her lyrics and soundscapes imitate a dream and invite the listener into a world of color, glowing crystals, and often friendly animals. You can check out Riding a Tiger by Alora Farinway, available on every major music platform, and follow her on Instagram at Alora Farinway for a splash of color in your feed. Visit alorafarinway.com for links to everything, or hit the link in the description of this episode to find out more. This episode of the Upper Discussion Podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences by keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane, bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks. Go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And that's Whiskey the Canadian way, without an E. Hey everybody, and welcome to the special bonus series here on Up for Discussion, where we are reviewing, doing a little bit of a watch-along for Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions Season 2. I'm, of course, Tom Zalatni, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Matt Cole. Hello, it me. It me, I'm here. Much like this tournament takes place between chefs from the East and the West of the United States, we are, of course, dissecting this from the North and the South of North America, which is to say, you know, Montreal and Ohio. (laughs) Yeah, which are, like, really pretty close together as far as Canada and America go, but, you know, who's counting? Yeah, so obviously this is uh, a watch-along that we're doing for uh, Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions. If you don't know what Tournament of Champions is and uh, you are just finding out about it by listening to this bonus episode of Up for Discussion, cool, thank you. Um, If you want kind of more of a rundown of what this is, uh, we, in the past couple of weeks on this very show's feed, have talked about that a little bit more at length, so you can go back and listen to those for uh, a whole lot more talk about it but essentially Guy Fieri everybody's favorite you know spiky blonde haired Food Network personality has put together a second annual uh, Food Network tournament where a whole bunch of the best chefs in the game are competing against each other for the title of best (laughs) (laughs) I think the title is champion champion that's the word (laughs) that's why it's called the the tournament of champions (laughs) best (laughs) Uh, so of course um 
we're going to be going every week. This is going to come out. We're going to do a watch along episode for it and release it on this very feed sometime in the few days afterward. Uh, and we're going to be kind of doing a little, uh, not quite play by play because we're not watching it live, but sort of breakdown of each episode going through the uh, matchups and what the challenges are and who the competitors are and uh, what we might have done had we been the competitors. Uh, you know, <laughs> neither of us being professional chefs or food personalities on the television. But people who care about food i don't know i definitely have my opinions on what i would do had i been in this competition that was like the first thing i wrote down for every battle so i'm excited to talk about that too yeah it's kind of fun because and i think we'll get into this as we get into the actual rounds but there is something fun about like as soon as you see the prompt your brain goes somewhere right so for me like i kept getting my ideas about what i would do with it and like zoning out for a couple of seconds from the episode and then coming back into it and finding out what they were doing. And uh, there's some, there's definitely a thrill to that. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Like anytime on any of the food network shows, whether it's chopped or triple G or what have you, as soon as the challenge itself is announced, my brain automatically starts putting those words together in the order that I am most interested in them. <laughs> uh, and often I find that it, lines up in some way you know i mean i guess there are only so many ways to like cook a chicken but um i i tend to and maybe it's just because i've watched so much food network be at least a little bit in line with what the chefs end up doing yeah well and this is interesting i think um i was listening to a podcast recently uh i think it was food network obsessed which is their like in-house podcast and uh the host was interviewing ted allen from uh originally from Queer Eye and now from Chopped. Uh, And he was saying that when those, you know, mystery baskets of food are revealed on Chopped, they have people in the background who are like the food producers, right? Who their job is to come up with the mystery basket and make it super exciting. But also those producers have a dish in mind when they put that together, right? Which makes sense because you'd have to. But I like to think that the more of this kind of stuff you watch, the more you start to like maybe think a little bit like the producers. Yeah, I definitely get that feeling. Uh, And maybe it's not like the producers so much as it's like the chefs, you know? Right. Because I never know for sure what the producers have in mind, but I end up seeing what the chefs go with. And um, I feel like often you can tell when a chef, like let's use Chopped, for example, uses the basket in the way of like, oh yeah, that's exactly what they had in mind versus nobody saw that coming. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, but um, there is definitely a, I don't know, familiarity might be the right word that you get when you watch enough Food Network competition TV to put these baskets together in the right order. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think is most interesting about Tournament of Champions is that Guy has taken that kind of model of the competitors get the same prompt uh, and turned it on its head a little bit by randomizing it the way that it has been. And now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if behind the scenes they have come up with, you know, every possible combination that the randomizer can do and made sure that there is at least one thing that you can do with it. Uh, Because I think that that is, you know, the kind of mental math that people like to do when they're producing shows. But I think that having that sort of randomness factored in 
makes one it makes the show more exciting for everybody involved and two it definitely ups that challenge a little bit more because sometimes you're going to get ones that are extremely fucking obvious like i would argue the first round (laughs) and sometimes Uh you're going to get ones that make you go i don't know do i put shrimp in the blender let's see uh you know i can tell you from personal experience that you don't put shrimp in the blender (laughs) that that's not the thing that you do well um But I do think it's interesting that you said that the first round was super obvious because neither of the chefs ended up going with the thing that I thought of for the first round when I first saw (laughs) the randomizer. Um, So not that I don't think it was obvious because in my brain it was super obvious, but it did not end up being exactly what I had in mind. Sure. Well, okay, let's let's get into it. Let's talk about the very first round. So, of course, we are in the play-in tournament right now, which, long story short, there are eight chefs, four from the East, four from the West, who are competing for two remaining slots in the actual tournament. Um, which, side note, I love that because it means that we're getting, like, two extra episodes of the show that we wouldn't have gotten last season, plus all the uh, ridiculous post-show commentary that feels like I'm watching Sportsnet. Um <laughs> So, first round, we have uh, Chris Cosentino versus Naisha Arrington. I'll be honest with you, I don't really have a lot of background on either of these people. Me Um, neither. When they first introduced really all of these chefs, the only two that I recognized, um, I guess we're, so we said we were going to talk about the first round, but we could jump in and say all four of the people competing in this West Coast uh, play-in were Chris Cosentino... Naisha Arrington, Chris O, and Philip Franklin Lee. Mm-hmm. And Chris O, I recognized from Food Truck Race. Right. Uh, and Philip Franklin Lee, I know because he's been on a bunch of different things. Right. But Chris Cosentino and Naisha Arrington were totally new names to me. I hadn't really heard of them at all before. Yeah, same here. The, the only people actually that I knew... <laughs> going into this episode were Philip Franklin Lee and uh, Elizabeth Faulkner, who was in the first season of Tournament of Champions, which is, you know, why I know her. Um, so it, it definitely feels like uh, an exciting thing to be able to witness these people who we haven't really had a whole lot of exposure to. And I mean, you know, spoilers for people who are listening to this but didn't watch the episode, which feels odd. But like the winner of this was someone who like I am really excited to just see more of because I have no conception of them as a person. Yeah, and I really liked their style of cooking too. So I'm I am really interested to see them move forward, but we won't give you the big spoiler until the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. So um a quick Google search of Chris Cosentino tells me that uh he is a celebrity chef and uh personality who has uh done a whole lot of Iron Chef and Top Chef things. So you know He's got that going for him. <laughs> and uh, Naisha Arrington. Oh, Naisha Arrington is a uh, Top Chef person. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. that's that's fine. I have watched, I would say, just slightly more than zero Top Shelf, Top Chef in my life. <laughs> I have watched um, so little of it that I'm not even sure what the show is called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so I think that that leads us into this first battle of mm-hmm. Chris Cosentino and Naisha Arrington, and I have the randomizer written down. Do you want me to give it? Absolutely. Yeah, so the challenge for the first round was ground beef, avocado, the box grater, the guilty pleasure, and 30 minutes. And I guess I should say, again, you know, it would be a little bit weird if you were listening to this and hadn't watched this episode, but the whole idea with the randomizer is that it gives the chefs 
a protein, a produce, a item, tool, device, technique, I don't know what those are called, a, a thing you use in the kitchen, and a style of food. And then it also gives the time they have to cook the thing, but for this first round, every battle was 30 minutes. So, uh, yeah, ground beef, avocado, box grater, guilty pleasure. Tom, I want to know offhand what your answer to this riddle is. Yeah, so, like, the very first thing that came to mind for me was nachos, but I told myself I don't want to go for the, like, obvious one, right? Because I feel like when you hear ground beef and avocado, you're immediately going to go towards something kind of Mexican, you know, Tex-Mex, whatever it might end up being, maybe a burrito bowl. And then box grater for me calls up, you know, shredded cheese and guilty pleasure is nachos, you know, it's pub food. So nachos to me feels like the really obvious one. And I told myself I don't want to go that direction. So Matt, do you want to know what I chose instead as my kind of like slightly outside of the box guilty pleasure ground beef avocado dish? I do now. Okay. Um, how familiar are you with corn cheese? Corn che- corn cheese? Corn cheese. So this is a Korean um, like pub food, bar food kind of thing. Think creamed corn meets nachos, I guess. Okay. So it's essentially like you do like a sweet corn uh, with like a sort of creamy sauce and then you shred cheese on top of it. And then, you know, after that's been thrown in the broiler for a bit, you uh, hit it with some green onion at the end. And it's like sweet and a little, you know, cheesy and goopy and delicious. I mean, that sounds really good to me. Like I'm I'm into it, but I never would have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's where I went with it. I'm thinking you do a I would do a Korean corn cheese with um I would puree some avocado into the cheese sauce that mixes in with the corn. And then I would take the beef, turn it into like a kebab kind of situation. So I'd, you know, pat it with egg and breadcrumb and whatnot to give it a little bit of texture, stick it on a skewer and grill it. Um, But before grilling it, I would hit it with some like bulgogi seasoning to give it that kind of Korean flavor. And granted, bulgogi is usually, you know, strips of beef kind of steak sort of situation shredded whatever um but i think that the flavor profile on a like ground beef skewer uh on top of the korean corn cheese would be delicious because you could like dip the skewer into the goopy cheese corn and like you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean that sounds really good i want that (laughs) i like that a lot what about you what did you uh what did you do for this one yeah so i'm really not a big avocado person Mm -hmm. at all it's it's one of my least favorite things that has gotten really popular in food these days. Sure. Um, And I thought nachos was a pretty good pull. Uh, I mean, you know, shredded cheese and guac and nachos is definitely an easy one. But my brain went straight to like an avocado burger. Take your ground beef, make a good, well-seasoned burger. I would probably make some, some pubby guacamole and smash that up and smear that on the buns. And then just go for like, uh, and this isn't all stuff that I like, but I think it's stuff that would play well, like a mushroom and onion burger with melted shredded cheese and a big old smear of uh, avocado. I'd call it more guacamole than like avocado puree. And then probably also three whole avocado slices and just make a big old juicy burger would be my go-to for a guilty pleasure with ground beef and avocado. Sure, I like that. It it really puts the beef and the avocado forward. 
Yeah, exactly, which I have learned from my time in watching Food Network is the key to these shows. That's it. I did actually, I thought briefly about how my dish hides the avocado a little bit. Uh, And I'm going to be honest, it's because I don't love avocado either. Uh, And in my mind, I was like, okay, how can I use the avocado in a way that's creative and not making the avocado like the first thing that they notice, but instead making the avocado like a surprise, you know? Um, Because avocado is fatty. Uh, so yeah. it would blend really well into a like cream sauce kind of thing, uh, but they wouldn't see it at first until they dig in because the top layer would just be the like broiled mozzarella or whatever. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good way to use that avocado, and I don't even know that that hides it so much as incorporates it into something else. Sure, you know, it's not like you're trying to mask the flavor. I mean, I think that that avocado fat would really build into the flavor of your cheese sauce. I don't think that it would, you know, disappear and hide. Yeah, um, but I do so. think yours is a little bit more avocado forward, and I think that the judges would probably be like, "Yes, this is someone who wanted to use avocado in a really direct way," and like, I think you would gain some points for that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on a little bit and talk about what the competitors did yeah um so we had chris who made a loco moco open-faced sandwich yeah and naisha who went your route and went with upscale nachos so i want to talk about chris's open-faced sandwich because he definitely said loco moco a whole lot of times and uh i'm gonna call bullshit on that a little bit because I don't yeah. think this was loco moco at all. I think the only thing loco moco about this was that there was a hamburger patty and gravy, which like, all right, buddy, <laughs> sure. Right, like if you take a bunch of things that aren't loco moco and put them in the shape of loco moco, can you still call it loco moco? Is a pop tart ravioli? Again, the <laughs> these are the questions of life that we ask ourselves. But I. I sort of had that same feeling, and honestly, you know, I, I won't lie, he used a lot of wild mushrooms and um, <laughs> built that really into his gravy and right. just, like, slapped some wild on- or wild mushrooms on his dish, and avocado and mushroom are two things that <laughs> I hard avoid when it comes to picking food, so there was nothing in this dish for me personally, right. but I think the things that killed me were I thought that, you know, Guy asked Chris, what's inside of your burger? Like, you know, what are you doing with your burger? And he said he's just seasoning the beef because he wants the <laughs> beef to shine through. And like, buddy, it's packaged ground beef. It's it's ground beef. Ground beef doesn't shine through. There's yeah. no such thing as good ground beef. Ground, ground beef is like, I don't, it's the American cheese of cow meat. Like, right. It's just not, there's not much there. Uh, and then all he did was spice up his avocado and grill it. And he ended up mashing the grilled avocado, but I thought, honestly, his incorporation of both items was just kind of lackluster yeah. as far as competition creativity goes. I, I agree with you. I uh, <laughs> I wasn't impressed. I thought his dish looked fun. Like, I think that if you showed me the two side by side, I would gravitate toward his in terms of like, ooh, let me tear into that. But as soon as I like thought about it at all, I think I'd have gone toward Naisha's dish instead because hers was, and let's get into it, a sort of deconstructed nachos, which I thought was 
nonsense but looked incredible and sounded delicious uh it to me it read as here are nachos on the side and the bowl is full of all of the things that you would want on the nachos and you can kind of dip and go for it which like i think is less of an affront to nachos than cosentino's thing was to locomoco but i think is still not quite nachos but i get it um i love that she made her own tortilla chips uh i love that there was just such a like there's something about a a a meal in a bowl you know it's it's cozy yeah no i definitely agree i mean this definitely was i would almost call it more of a like restaurant appetizer Mm -hmm. than a dish you know like this this scream nacho bar to me which i'm into (laughs) don't get me wrong like nacho bar is my favorite words i like those things but um (laughs) yeah this was a plate of chips a bowl of cheese and a scoop of guac. Like that was the things that that dish was. And she played, plated it, excuse me, in a really upscale way. And so I'll give her that, but it wasn't not nachos. It also wasn't directly nachos. Right. But I do want to point out the one thing that she did that I was like, Oh yeah, that, that fucking rules was that she added chicken stock to her nacho cheese, yep. which is something I had never seen before, but was very into. <laughs> this is um, this is maybe the cooking hack that I have like utilized. Oh god, I hate the word utilized. Fucking kill me. But this is <laughs> every time I hear someone say utilize on TV, I'm like fuck you. But I just used it, so here we go. The cooking hack I have utilized the most in my like recent adult life is realizing that chicken stock can be added to like 90% of things that you're making and it always punches them up because it's kind of just flavorful salt water. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. We always have a carton of like both chicken stock and like beef broth Mm -hmm. just in the fridge at all times for cooking. Yeah. Like there's not a whole lot of things where if adding, if adding it to it would ruin the texture, you don't want to do it. But otherwise there's really not a lot of things that it would ruin. It, It just kind of enhances it. It punches it up just a little bit. And like, it's not too expensive to keep around, especially if you make your own by just, you know, boiling the bones off of the chicken you have just finished eating. Right, which I've never tried making my own chicken stock. I know it's not particularly difficult. I've just never gotten around to doing it. Sure. Um, But it certainly seems like one of those ingredients, kitchen items, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) that is really easy to keep around for that reason in the sense of like, yeah, you know, you make some chicken, you pull the meat off the bone, before you throw the bones away, you boil it for an hour and you got chicken stock. Yeah, it's great. It, and I like that a lot because I think that especially as, you know, it's 2021, we are becoming more and more conscious of the way that the food we consume affects the planet we live on. I think that there is something really nice about finding ways to get just a little bit more out of something before you throw it away. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, now, as much as I appreciated Naisha's use of the chicken stock in her cheese sauce i thought that her use of the box grater to shred the cheese for the cheese sauce was fine Mm -hmm. i think no let me change the phrasing i thought that chris's use of the box grater was rocco despirito called it inventive i will call it lazy and boring sure Uh, yeah i was underwhelmed by his well i burnt my toast so i'm gonna scrape the burn off with this (laughs) box grater like all right whatever man 
just make new toast. Yeah, make good, new toast good, and be better. Good for you for screwing up something I've been able to do since I was ten. <laughs> yeah, so I I thought that all around Naisha played the game better on this one yeah. uh, than Chris did. I think so. And as a result, she deserved the two-point lead that got her the win in this first round. Yeah. Now, Tom, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I do have a special superpower. Uh, and that superpower is that once I hear the judges talk about the food, I can almost always tell you who wins before it's revealed. Maddie says it's weird and that it really freaks her out uh, <laughs> because I'm so good at, at guessing the outcomes of these Food Network competition shows. Okay. But for this show, I've decided to, I don't know, reveal my secret or whatever, but uh, I wrote down the sentences from the judges or the feedback from the judges that showed me before they gave the score who won and who lost. And I thought that I would share those with you. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So for Chris, um, I wrote down, I have no idea why I did this in my notes, but I kept writing down Melissa de Arabian. It wasn't Melissa de Arabian. It was Giada Laurentiis. Um, The whole time I was like, oh, that's Melissa de Arabian. No, it's Giada (laughs) Laurentiis. Anyway, about Chris, Giada said that his dish needed something pickled would have she said cleaned my mouth which is a cursed <laughs> phrase <laughs> it's a really upsetting thing to say <laughs> but she said his dish needed something pickled it was short on acid right and for naisha's dish um giada said that the guac on the side was hard to eat and marcus samuelson pointed out that the radishes she put in her cheese sauce would have been better outside of the dish because they got soggy. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that I can tell you confidently about Food Network competition shows is that dish composition is almost always a greater sin than bad plating. Mm -hmm. And so not having acid in your dish is a much worse thing in the judge's eyes than your plating being off, even if that affects like the texture of the food, unless it's really bad and unforgivable. Toby's here to chime in apparently. Hi, Toby. So I think overall, well, I thought right away there that Naisha definitely had it because her dish only had plating issues as opposed to composition issues that Chris has had. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think like, yeah, if you leave out things that feel important to the flavor of a dish. Yeah, that's right, Toby, a monkey. If you leave out the monkey from the dish, you're going to get the banana. That's what they always say. Uh Uh-huh. I love you, buddy. I'll see you soon, okay? Toby figured out doorknobs today. Oh, boy. It sounds like it's going very well. It's going great. This week's episode is brought to you in part by an anonymous donation on behalf of Head & Hands. Head & Hands is a clinic in my neighborhood of NDG that's provided legal, medical, and social services to young people since the 1970s. Their goal is to provide preventative, inclusive, non-judgmental, and holistic resources for youth in Montreal to help the community at large. You can learn everything about what they're doing at headandhands.ca, and there's a link in the description of this episode for ease of access. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new review I get during the month of March, I'll be donating $2 to The Depot NDG, which is my local food bank. They do a lot of really great work. And the long and short of it is that they can turn every dollar into $3 worth of food for people in need. So by leaving a rating and review, you're making me give them $2, which makes them give $6 worth of food to people. So think about that for a minute. You do something for free, and $6 of good happens. That's pretty awesome.
Make it happen. You can learn about everything that they're doing in the description below. I also wanted to let you know that our network is in the middle of a massive fundraising campaign over on Indiegogo. We're looking to raise $2,500 to buy a new computer for our main studio and invest in transcription services to make our content more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing. At the time of recording, we've raised just under $2,200, which is awesome. We're really close to our goal. We've also just revealed our first stretch goal, where if we can raise at least $5,000, which is double our goal if you've been doing the math, we'll be upgrading all of the equipment in our main studio and donating the current setup to a local youth center to help them set up their own podcasting space and help young people in the neighborhood make their voices heard for years to come. Now, if all of that sounds good to you, what if I told you that there's also a ton of amazing perks available, like guest spots, hand-sewn whales, Zoom cooking classes, and more, and that we're even running a referral contest with prizes valued at over $200, where you yourself don't even have to give any money if you can convince your friends to give money. Well, it's true. All of that is true. Pretty great, right? So go hit the Indiegogo link in the description of this episode and throw us a couple bucks or participate in the referral contest or both. Get yourself a shiny perk or two and help us make podcasting awesome and accessible. Before we get around to, I, uh, I do want to take a second to acknowledge that I absolutely adore Hunter Fieri as the backstage correspondent uh, Ryan Seacrest figure. <laughs> Hunter Fieri, like being drug along in his father's footsteps to the point now where like he's into it and he's just leaned into the bit is my favorite food network bit it's so good but i think he genuinely seems to like it uh i do love that he's definitely very clearly being groomed to like take over yeah right like uh every every year one day probably around his 16th birthday hunter woke up with guy fietti looming over his bed and saying you will not let this family's legacy die it's it's time to learn your place in the family business son we're gonna roll out <laughs> um, so speaking of people who roll out uh the first competitor in the uh, second round is chris O, who um like you said before you know him from uh, food network uh, pfft, duh, from uh food trucks rather yeah, to me, I think of him and I immediately think like, oh yeah, he's the guy who does lots of really great street food. And then, of course, the second competitor in round two is Philip Franklin Lee, who uh, maybe choose two names instead of three, buddy. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> never never trust a man with three names. Never trust a man with three names. Uh, so going into the second round, I thought this one was a trickier round than the first round in terms of like figuring out what to do with it, um, because the randomizer gave them chicken cutlets shallots a hand mixer go to takeout and again 30 minutes um matt did what what kind of jumped out at you initially as your like meal you would make with this yeah so i i won't lie this one i immediately knew what direction i would go with it right um, did you go the same well, direction as the two competitors not exactly kind of similar to what philip franklin lee did but he left out some things that i think were really really crucial and that was that I would have gone with like a KFC famous bowl basically here. Um, I would have gone with a big old mashed potato bowl with, uh, I would have cut that chicken cutlet up and done some really well fried popcorn chicken Ooh. with that chicken cutlet. Um, I probably would have pulled some corn off the cob gr or grilled that corn, pulled it off the cob, seasoned it up, thrown it in there, made a gravy and then the big thing that I thought was a huge miss is that I would have done crispy onion straws, but I would have done those with the shallots and made like crispy deep fried onion straws to throw on top of that 
mashed potato bowl. Okay. Um, yeah, and that is 100% the direction that I would have gone. I love that. My gut response when I saw the ingredient list was the same as the competitors, and it was fried chicken. Um, and I feel like that's not unreasonable when you get faced with, you know, chicken cutlets that are already, like, fairly thin and easy to pound out and make quick fry, uh, and a hand mixer, which immediately goes, oh, I can make batter with that. Cool. Um, but I didn't want to do fried chicken, fried chicken. I thought, okay, I'll pull something out of my, like, family background a little bit here and find a way to turn it into takeout. Um, so for me, that meant doing a chicken schnitzel. Um, so, you know, the kind of key difference between chicken schnitzel and, you know, fried chicken is that with fried chicken, you kind of want bigger pieces, you deep fry it, and it, you know, it's a little juicier. With schnitzel, you pound it super thin, and you give it a shallow fry. It's different. It's different. It's not that different, but it's different, okay? And then you would typically serve it uh, with, like, a lemon wedge on the side that you squirt on top to give it that hit of acidity. Um, To incorporate the shallots, I would have done a quick pickle of the shallots, uh, which is not all that different, I guess, from what... uh, I think it was uh, Chris O did, right? He did a, like, um, kimchi like a pickled. Kimchi. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I like that idea. Uh, I would have done a quick pickled shallot. And um, there's a cucumber salad that my family has always made where you, like, you slice cucumber, like, r- razor thin and then soak it in vinegar for a while with some salt. Um, so I would have done that with, with the shallot. So I would have done a, like, quick pickled shallot and cucumber salad uh, on the side of the... Uh, chicken schnitzel and i would have just used the hand mixer to mix the batter which feels obvious but you know sometimes you get things that feel obvious yeah uh speaking of obvious i want to take a second to talk about the fact that neither of these guys knew what a hand mixer was i know that bothered me a lot (laughs) um hand mixer equals not immersion blender yeah i will say that i think that my entire life i heard that called an egg beater as opposed to a hand mixer but i also went straight to what an actual hand mixer is instead of an immersion blender so i was really surprised because i think the distinction for me is that whatever you call a hand mixer you call it right whether it's an egg beater whether it's a hand mixer but an immersion blender you call an immersion blender right yeah 100 <laughs> percent um weirdly enough i grew up calling immersion blenders milkshake blenders because that was the only thing we my family ever used our 15 year old immersion blender for sure um but like I feel like hand mixer is hard to mess up because I grew up just calling it a mixer because we didn't have a stand mixer when I was a kid. Right. But if you have a stand mixer, it would stand to reason yeah. that a mixer you hold in your hand is a hand mixer. Gotta hand it to you. You got the logic on that one. Yeah, so that was really upsetting. That was like, <laughs> Ben, have have y'all gone so far away from the lay people of eating food <laughs> that you no longer know the difference between hand mixers and immersion blenders and cake eaters. This, I, I'm not going to lie, as soon as that happened, it gave me such a like disconnect from both of these competitors that I genuinely was like, I hope neither of these guys makes it to the actual competition. I kind of had that same feeling. And I got to say, like, I really like Philip Franklin Lee. I don't have any problem with Chris O, but I've watched Philip Franklin Lee on a bunch of other competition shows, and I've always really liked him. Right. And so when he also was like, is this a hand mixer? I was like, God, man, come on. Like, I liked you. What are you doing? Yeah, disappointing. So obviously, uh, we alluded to this already, but they both did fried chicken. Yeah, uh, we had Chris with a Korean fried chicken with a kimchi aioli and kimchi shallots, and Philip Franklin Lee made fried chicken and mashed potatoes with, like, 
like whole ass shallots. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't know, man. I am not an upscale eater. Right. I don't eat upscale food. Um, and when I see people say like, I'm going to take this dish and I'm going to elevate it. What I hear on the inside is, I'm going to take this good thing, I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. And that was kind of what I thought Philip Franklin Lee did in this competition, <laughs> was take a really good thing and screw it up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so did the judges. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I don't have much else to say about this second battle, so I'm fine to move right on into the, the judging of this one if you are. Me too. Yeah, so Chris won this with an 80 over Philip Franklin Lee's 77. And I'll give you the things that the ju- uh, the judges said that made this outcome really obvious to me. Sure. Um, so they judged Chris first, and both Rocco Despirito and Giada said that his chicken was a little overcooked and dry, but also said that his gochujang sauce uh, made up for that which I think is an important thing to note. Mm -hmm. And then talking about Philip Franklin Lee's, uh, Marcus said, A, that his dish didn't really read as takeout. It read more as a restaurant dish. And Rocco said that he didn't see the shallots in the dish, which I think is sort of an outcome of him kind of trying to hide that ingredient Mm -hmm. and incorporate it a little too much. And so my takeaway from that was you've got... Chris, who did the dish well, but overcooked his protein a little bit, but not enough to ruin the dish, versus Philip Franklin Lee, who, A, it read as not takeout, so didn't accomplish that, like, didn't check that box, and at least in one judge's mind, left out a required ingredient. So it was pretty obvious to me off the bat that that one was going to go to Chriso. Yeah, I think so. Honestly, when, when, (laughs) as soon as Philip started talking about doing mashed potatoes with his, something in my mind said, this guy's going to lose. I don't know what, (laughs) I don't know why. I just immediately was like, mashed potatoes isn't the play here. You're not going to win with mashed potatoes. Yeah, I think you've got to do, so, you know, going back to my idea of like a, a, chicken bowl, mashed potato bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the only way that you get away with mashed potatoes in this challenge is if you make mashed potatoes, the, the delivery of the dish, you know, like mashed potatoes has to be the thing. And then that's, that's what you're ordering. You know, like you're not ordering chicken with a side of mashed potatoes. You're ordering a mashed potato bowl that has, chicken and shallots and corn and gravy on it yeah that's it like i feel like um i feel like chris o's dish was a dish as opposed to like chicken with a side of mashed potatoes yeah which is exactly how uh philip franklin lee's read yeah uh, all right, so let's get into the final round. Uh, at this point, it is probably fairly obvious who the competitors are, but just as a way to, you know, restate it, uh, it is, of course, Naisha Arrington against Chris O in the final round. Matt, do you want to read out the randomizer for this one? Yeah, I do. So the protein for this one was shrimp. The produce was russet potatoes. The, I don't remember what they call it, the the tool. I think tool. <laughs> The, the kitchen tool was a blender, uh, and Guy Fieri said, 
a regular blender or an immersion blender were both in play, uh, which I have to imagine only happened because they pulled out immersion blenders in the last round, and Guy was like, oh, yeah, we have those. <laughs> and uh, the style was Sunday brunch. Mm-hmm. Now, when I heard this one, my brain went, uh... Because I was finally stumped. Like, with the other two rounds, the second they came up, I had an idea. With this one, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want a shrimp a brunch. I don't want a shrimp a brunch at all. And had to really dig deep to figure out what I wanted to do with it. But I did have an idea. But I think I want to hear your idea first. Oh, Tom Zalatni, my sweet northern child. I'm going to teach you the ways. Uh, so not to promote my own episode of your own show, but if anyone hasn't heard the Up for Discussion that I was on where I talked a lot about southern food and southern cooking, when they read out this randomizer, I was immediately taken back to Sunday brunch at the country club with my grandparents in Virginia. And immediately my brain said, yeah, easy, shrimp and grits, home fries, hollandaise sauce. Th- those three things are all you need to take this randomizer and make an incredible Sunday brunch. Um, you know, I, I will eat shrimp and grits 24-7. It doesn't need to be breakfast. It doesn't need to be dinner. It doesn't need to be daylight. I'll eat shrimp and grits whenever you give them to me. But I do love shrimp and grits for breakfast. And you take your russet potatoes you cube them, you uh, fry them up really well in a pan, you season them really hard, you make some solid home fries, and then you get some nice lemony hollandaise sauce, because hollandaise sauce is like the official sauce of brunch. You (laughs) cover everything in it, and you call it a day, and you have nailed this challenge in my mind. Okay, I like that a lot. I like that a lot more than what I came up with. Do you want to know what I came up with? I do. I super do. Also, I have a lot of questions about why you don't want shrimp for breakfast, but we can get to that. Well, okay. So I don't want shrimp for breakfast, I think, exclusively because I've just never had shrimp for breakfast. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, that that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, you know, hearing you talk about it that way, I could get behind that, that dish. That sounds really good to me. Are you a shrimp and grits person? Do you I, like grits? I have never had shrimp and grits. I've never had grits. The closest I've gotten is polenta. Yeah, that's not that close. No. Um, <laughs> we need to get you some shrimp and grits. I uh, I don't know if I can ship shrimp and grits to Montreal, but one of these days we'll get you shrimp and grits. <laughs> well, you know, COVID cases are going down. Maybe soon enough I can just come get some. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. or three years now we'll get you down here. <laughs> exactly. Um, so my thoughts on this one also went back to uh, the biscuits and gravy episode of Up for Discussion, uh, but uh, to biscuits and gravy. So I have seen uh, on Guy's Grocery Games, I've seen a couple of times people do biscuits and gravy successfully in a half hour. And every time that they do it and they pull it off, the judges are like, I don't know how you pulled off biscuits and gravy in half hour, but this is incredible. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay. That feels like a way to win if you do it well, and why not pull out all the stops here, right? Why not try something that you shouldn't be able to do in a half hour? So my play here is that I would do a play on biscuits and gravy, uh, but I would turn the shrimp itself into a gravy, like a horrible monster, and I would serve that up with a shrimp hash um, on the side, because I don't think you can have too much shrimp when you're trying to do something shrimp-forward, and it would be a nice way to incorporate the shrimp and the potatoes with each other. You'd get the shrimp in the gravy on top of the tasty biscuits, but then you'd also get the shrimp, you know, chopped up or mixed in with the potato hash, um, 
And then I would also just uh, have like a citrus forward fruit salad on the side as that sort of like acidic note. Um, Because I do think that, yeah, shrimp and citrus together really, really matters. Uh, And I think a fruit salad that is like, you know, citrus forward at brunch makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a good thing. I would eat that. I mean, I love biscuits and gravy. The shrimp gravy raises some red flags for me. (laughs) Oh, no, I think I think it sounds terrible. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it, I think it could work, but I think that, uh, you know, so to talk about what happened in the bout in the battle a little bit, right. uh, Naisha incorporated her shrimp shells into the butter she used for her hollandaise sauce. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you've got to make your shrimp gravy. Oh yeah. That's you've got to, you know, like incorporate the shells and, and take your, you, I don't want to say it, but your shrimp byproducts <laughs> and incorporate your shrimp byproducts into yeah. your gravy. So we made shrimp etouffee uh, last week, and we eat shrimp etouffee a lot, Maddie and I, and uh, we tried to do it in the pressure cooker because we were like, well, we've got to go to the gym, and then it'll just be easy. We can take it out of the pressure cooker uh, as soon as we get home and eat it, and it'll be great. Well, we screwed up, and we overcooked our etouffee and it caused all the shrimp to explode (laughs) and um so what we ended up with was like shredded shrimp etouffee and it was upsetting i did not like it and i do not want it again and so when you said shrimp gravy i immediately thought of like shrimp in a blender uh which is not only my favorite eve six song uh is also a really upsetting way to eat shrimp and I do not like it. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that when I saw this round, my brain just farted and was like, well, we gotta put those shrimp in the blender. And I <laughs> I would be willing to lose this round. I I think I would serve it up. I think that maybe, you know what? I think that at least one of the three judges would have been like, oh, putting shrimp through a blender is a, a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have been okay with it. I would have sat there in the green room and gone, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You're right, it was, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but I also really like the idea of making Rocco Despirito eat my horrifying shrimp gravy. <laughs> Gross. Uh, well, let's talk about what Chris and Aisha made. Um, Chris, Chris, excuse me. No, you got it right, it's Chris. Chris, Chris, Chris went with a breakfast hangover taco mm-hmm. uh, with shrimp, bacon, and uh, dippy egg. And Naisha went with eggs benedict with crispy potatoes, shrimp, and bacon. Yeah. Um, so as brunch typically is, you know, there are only like seven things that you can eat for brunch, mm-hmm. and you just put them together in different orders and different forms and give them to people. So... Um, that was, that was what we had here. And I will say both of these sounded really good to me. I was all in on Chris O's breakfast taco. And then he did what I think was a bad thing. He did a sin. He did a crime. And I want to talk about that crime. And that was putting, uh, what I call a dippy egg. I don't know what they're actually called. Sunny side up, maybe a sunny side up egg in the bottom of his taco. Yeah. Like, what kind of animal are you? You fool. What are you doing? Do you know how drippy and nasty that's going to be? Well, and also, if you're going to put a sunny side up egg anywhere on your plate, it needs to be on top of everything else because the judges want to cut into it and watch it dribble down. Yeah, if you're giving I... them a sunny side egg and it's under everything else, not only is it going to be gross and soggy, but you're depriving them of that thing that they want. 
Right. Yeah. Just scramble your damn eggs, boy. Yeah. Scramble your damn eggs. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I, I agree with you entirely on that. I would have either left the egg off or put it on top. Now, do I think that absolutely that sounds like what I would rather eat if I was hungover or if I was just real tired first thing in the morning? Sure. But is it brunch? Uh, no, yeah, really. I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, that's Chris O is a food truck chef. Um, and I love food truck food. Chris O's dish is way more what I would order for breakfast over Naisha's. But I don't think of food truck food or hangover cures as brunch food. Yeah. You know, I love, love, love <laughs> hangover brunch. But I I don't think of breakfast taco hangover cure as a brunch food where Eggs Benedict is like, that. that's the captain of the brunch ship. Yeah. That's on the flag that they sail and into the brunch ocean. I lost the metaphor, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. It's the ocean of uh, never-ending coffee refills. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, and I think Naisha did some like really smart things, too. I mean, she incorporated the bacon fat into the water that she yeah. used for her shrimp. Which that was, was nuts. I love she... that. Yeah, me too. Um, and not only that, she, like I said earlier, incorporated the shrimp shells into the butter for the hollandaise. So, like, all together, she just took her flavors and carried them through each item in the dish in a way that I thought was so smart and such a good example of playing the game. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. As soon as I saw her dish, I was like, there's no way she's not going to win this one. And uh, she won that one. And I'm really excited about that. I I think also just because, like, there were no black women in the tournament at all last year. And I, I also, there wouldn't be a black woman in the tournament this year if she had not won this. And I think that it is rad to see that representation because I think that we don't get it that often like even on like on the Food Network writ large we've got Sunny Anderson and Trigay Fraser it's also around sometimes yep yeah yeah I got in a big old Twitter discussion once with some other folks about um, black women on the Food Network and I came up with a couple examples and I don't remember them all but it is definitely I think one of the most underrepresented demographics in the Food Network roster, which I think all in all, as far as TV rosters go, is pretty diverse. Um, so I, I definitely love it when they can get more of that representation in there yeah. uh, altogether. That's it. So I'm really excited for her. I'm really excited to see how far she goes in this thing. And I, uh, yeah, I was, I was happy with the way this turned out. I also love that what she did, Eggs Benedict, is what my dish should have been. <laughs> Like, all of my instincts were like, oh, yeah, biscuits and gravy with a shrimp as the sauce. And it's like, no, Tom, no, what you what you were thinking was eggs Benedict, but you just did a dumb. (laughs) There were a couple of other things I wanted to point out before we uh, wrapped up here. Sure. And that was that I love nothing more than when you get these diner chefs or food truck chefs or you know, not fine dining chefs coming onto these competition shows and doing a thing that blows the mind of the professional chefs. I love it. And we got that this week as Chris O fried his potatoes, smashed his potatoes, and then refried his potatoes. And Simon Majumdar was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, I just, I love it when that happens. 
Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to talk about was just what the judges said that made this outcome obvious to me. And that was uh, the, I think they judged Naisha first and Giada said that her shrimp were a little overcooked, but that was the only negative thing they had to say about her. And then when they were talking about Chris, Marcus pointed out that uh, his taco gets muddy and it needed heat and it needed acid. And again, like a, a slightly overcooked protein versus a dish lacking in composition, you're always going to go with the overcooked protein. Uh, and that was the outcome of this competition. That's it. I feel like the only time that over or undercooked protein like sends you home is if it makes it inedible and like yeah. on a show like this like the caliber of chefs who are in this we're not going to get inedible protein on guys grocery games you're occasionally going to get someone who buys the wrong cut of beef and it's like oh this is rare so i scraped the outside of it off with my cheese grater and ate just the outside of it but i'm not going to eat the rest of your beef and you're going to go home as a result but on tournament of champions that shit's not going to happen right exactly and i will say i think that undercooked protein is a way greater food network sin than overcooked protein but still i i agree with you wholeheartedly that you're not gonna get anybody who renders their dish inedible on this the tournament of champions on food network yeah unless it's michael voltaggio and he does it on purpose yeah, right, and he, he gives you chicken ceviche or something, because that sounds like something that Voltaggio would do. Did you catch when they, uh, this might have been in the like uh, pre-show like wrap-up of last year, previews of this year kind of thing that they ran, um, but at one point they were going through the list of who's on this season, and they got to Brian Voltaggio, and Guy introduced him as like, uh, he's a world-renowned chef, he's Michael Voltaggio's brother. It's Brian Voltaggio, and I spat my drink out. And can you imagine being like, that's your legacy is that you are somebody's brother. Like, that hurts. <laughs> Poor Brian Voltaggio. I hope he does okay. Especially when you have, like, a similarly storied career. Like, they're both very successful. It's just one of them is nuts and does a lot of things with Guy Fieri, so he matters more. Right, exactly. Well, and Brian Voltaggio is way more clean cut. He doesn't have near the... I do kitchen to quit my hard drug habit that Michael Voltaggio does. Yeah, he has more the I do kitchen and also drink habit, you know? Yeah, like I uh, I Google image searched the Voltaggio brothers, and here's a picture of Brian Voltaggio with his wife and his kid, and here's a picture of Michael Voltaggio balancing knives on a chopping block. <laughs> it's just a much <laughs> different energy. I love it. I want them to do a show together. Oh, man, that'd be so good. That'd be so good. I think that that brings us to a good spot to wrap up for this week. Uh, do you have any uh, do you have any predictions for how next week's gonna go? Um, I don't. I will say that I don't love Elizabeth Faulkner. Uh, and I would really like to see some fresh blood in the tournament this year. So mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't have a huge problem with Elizabeth Faulkner. She's just not my favorite competition cooking chef. And I hope that next week yields us new blood in the eighth spot as opposed to somebody's redemption arc. Yeah, I feel that. I have no issues with Elizabeth Faulkner. I like her, but I agree that I don't want to see her 
as the one who comes back, if only because I think it would be a lot more interesting to see someone else. Uh, I've got my money on Cliff Crooks, just because I love a good, like, alliterative name. Um, <laughs> and also a little bit because I don't like hearing Guy say Tiffany Faison the way that he does. <laughs> so I don't want her to advance any further. Yeah, that's reasonable. Do you have the list in front of you? Do you know who the fourth person is? The fourth person is Bobby Marcotte, who, uh, if memory serves, is a triple D guy, maybe? He is. So I like Bobby Marcotte a lot. Um, He's done triple D a whole bunch. Uh, Well, he is, I think, the first triple D chef on Tournament of Champions, but he has also been on uh, triple G a couple of times, Mm -hmm. and I really like Bobby Marcotte. So he is... He's my poll for who I would like to see go through next week. Sure. Um, but I, I'm not married enough to him that I really care. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I think that I was a little bit more invested in this first round than I will be next week. But uh, I'm excited for next week one way or another. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, I do also like that Jada feels like the closest we're going to get to seeing Bobby Flay on the show. <laughs> word for word last night, Tom, I said to Maddie, I was like, look, it's Giada Laurentis. She's doing a show with Bobby Flay for Discovery Plus. We are one step closer to getting Bobby and Guy in the same room. It's gonna happen. <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna put my money on it. It might be Tournament of Champions season three. What I want more than anything is for them to make Bobby Flay do the play in tournament and give him <laughs> the eighth seed. Like he has to work his way into the tournament if he wants to play. I think that is incredible and that's how it should go it would fit his personality too like you know he would do it if they told him like yeah we'll let you on the show but you've got to earn your way in he'd be like yeah whatever i'm bobby flay whatever i do it i do it i'm bobby flay yeah that's my bobby flay impression (laughs) it's honestly pretty good it's pretty good well on that note it's time for us to wrap up no i'm not going to do my simon majumdar impression (laughs) (laughs) that was also really good Oh, man. Well, if you are enjoying uh, all of what we are bringing to the Tournament of Champions wrap-up show world, make sure to hit subscribe uh, on whatever you are listening to. And uh, remember to check out uh, everything else that we are doing. You can find Matt on Twitter at MC underscore DJ underscore MC. You can find me on Twitter at Tom Zalatni. You can follow this show on Twitter at Down With Talking. And uh, hit the links in the description for all kinds of other stuff. You'll like it. This show's about food. Things are good. Hit the links. You'll like it. (laughs) Yeah, hit the links. You'll like it. See you next time on this. On on this, the thing we're doing. We're so good at ending podcasts, Tom. We are. I'm Tom Chicken Cutlet Salatna. I'm Matt Shrimp in a Blender Cold. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, And if you have any problem with what we said today, get out of the kitchen. I like that. That's a decent sign off. Yeah, it works. All right. All right. What Mega Man boss would make the most terrifying kaiju? I, for one, want to be the first to welcome our new kaiju overlords. How would Adam Sandler fit in the MCU? I injected myself with the Green Goblin serum. 
Oh! Debate This is a podcast that asks the questions about your favorite video games and comics that no one is asking. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you download podcasts. And on social media at Debate This Cast. None of it's that so is mind close, control. Though. It's so close. It's not it's so close. It's- If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.